Welcome to the Together for Change podcast series. I'm your host, Marvin O'Kelly. As of June 2020, following the untimely death of George Floyd, I've taken on the role of diversity and inclusion officer for the Halifax Wanderers. Since that time, I've hosted a number of Zoom calls with Wanderers fans, members, partners, and others in our greater community. My aim is that by having these tough and sometimes awkward conversations, we can begin to break down barriers and strengthen a culture of diversity and inclusion. Today, my guest is Rico Simons. Dorico is a member of the Wanderers Diversity and Inclusion Committee. Dorico has been working with youth and communities for 15 plus years. He is the first inaugural Director of Opportunity and Belonging at the Nova Scotia Art and Design School, also known as NASCAD. Dorico is well-versed in youth and community work and social justice issues. Dorico also has experience working with youth in residential care and emergency shelters. Dorico, thank you for joining us today. Happy to be here. So, Dorico, we'll just jump right into it. Why did you decide to join the Wanderers Diversity and Inclusion Committee? Why was it something that was important to you? And what do you hope to accomplish? Sure. So, like I've, I've, uh, like I've been following the Wanderers uh, lightly since they've been a thing in Halifax. Um, you know, I'll be honest that like soccer, like it wasn't my sort of passion, but I did recognize that the Wanderers have a large following. And with a large following, there's influence. And so, you know, being asked to be a part of, uh, you know, the diversity and inclusion committee, first thing is I'm thinking, okay, wow, this is, this is dope that the Wanderers are doing this and, um, you know, want to hear a bit more about it. And so thinking about being asked to be a part of it and then thinking about, okay, the Wanderers have some influence in the city that people are paying attention. So being a part of this group, you know, bringing my knowledge as well as everyone else on the committee, I think it's a great opportunity to use the influence that the Wanderers have for not only just soccer, but to create and make positive change. What can we get accomplished? I think that the sky is just the view, like it's not the limit, like it's just the view. And so what other soccer clubs, what other professional clubs do I know of that have a diversity and inclusion committee that is made up of grassroots folks from the community? I can't think of any. And so we've already accomplished one thing right off the jump there. And so I don't want to I don't want to pigeonhole on what we can accomplish, but like there's many things such as stuff that you've already been working on um, in terms of uh, how we how you open the games uh, information for uh, fans uh, when they're coming in, working in indigenous culture uh, and what we do, not just uh, doing school visits uh, uh, with kids, but tangibly doing things in community. So I think the, the, the things that we can accomplish are endless, but wanting to be a part of this group wasn't just you know, wanting to say I'm associated with a professional soccer club, it was more around how can we how can we use the influence, uh, the positive influence that the Wanderers have uh, in a way to create a different perspective around the game of soccer and, and a different conversation to continue to 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 propel things forward uh, positively uh, in the Halifax community and nationally, because there also is, na- is a national influence. Definitely. Well said, well said. I mean, I completely agree that don't want to put any ceiling on on what we can accomplish and even in the short term that uh, we've been working together I think we've we've laid a great foundation and I'm excited to see what else we uh, will continue to accomplish with the committee so thank you for being a part of that and uh, thank you for joining us today so Dorico I just want to ask you why did you become uh, such a vocal activist in your community and what propelled you to use your platform it's a funny question to me uh, because and like funny in a way just because uh you know, any person, I guess, that I know as an activist never necessarily labeled themselves as an activist. 
you know, for me, like it was never a conscious choice of I'm going to kind of get into work of activism. It, it was a, it was almost just seen as a, what a, a necessity, like it's something I have to do to, to speak up because, you know, growing up in, in, in public housing, knowing firsthand what it's like to not have, um, seeing a lot of different things happen around me, but then ascending to a place where uh, sometimes I'm the only person in the room that's representing Black people or representing communities, it's imperative to say something. Uh, it's imperative to, to, to do something. And so, you know, I, it was never a choice. Uh, it was never a thought that I'm an activist. I never, I've never, ever even called myself an activist. Other people did. Like, that's why I sort of laugh, like, you know, why did I become an activist? It's just not, it's never something I chose. It just was literally a lifestyle, I think, that I've always lived because it, it has always been more than important uh, for me to speak up for people who may not have a voice or, or for people who may not have an opportunity to sit where I'm sitting uh, to advocate for, for, uh, for change. You know, the, the second part of your question around, like, feeling the need to ha- have to continue to have tough or awkward conversations Certainly, there's elements of that that I still have to live out uh, every single day. And so it would be disingenuous uh, to, to, to my upbringing and to the, my community and to, to, to the people that supported me to not continue in this work. Because sometimes you have to be a voice for the voiceless, uh, because there's people who don't have the opportunity to, to speak with government, don't have the opportunity to sit on committees. And so, you know, when I show up, it's not just Dorico showing up. Uh, I'm showing up to, to represent all of the conversations that I've had in community and, and, and all of the voices of people that I've spoken to are also sitting at the table. And so when I speak, it's not just my idea. It's a culmination of a lot of the different struggles and things that I've heard in community. So why did I become an activist? I don't think I've ever arrived, um, you know, I, I, to, to say that I... It's just not a title I give to myself, you know, like it, it, it's just. Something I know what you mean. Know. It's yeah, one of those titles that you almost um, are never, it's never self-proclaimed. It's always given by others when you're explaining what somebody is doing. So in that context, I think it's, it's more you common for people to say that, oh, he or she is an activist more so than somebody saying I am an activist. It's some people will, some people will give you the term because it's an uncommon place to be and, and they just don't know what to say. You know, speaking out, it's the right thing to do. An activist always sort of has this um, radical sort of notation to it. Like an activist is like you're out like, but, but it's, it's not always about burning down the streets. Sometimes that needs to happen too, but I'm, I'm completely cool with the term activist. I just see it as my responsibility to, to, to speak out um, and to work through and to talk about people, people, Positive change needs to happen desperately. And the more and more that we, we continue to sort of sit idle, um, the more and more uh, things will not happen. And, and, you know, we could take a historical perspective on it when, you know, when slavery started, like there were activists there too. The sort of activism just has never, ever stopped for Black people. Um, it started then and just never stopped because we're not on ec- equitable playing grounds. It's sort of a culmination of everything. Uh, my entire life of why uh, I can, I will always continue um, to speak up for community. Definitely. And there's one interesting thing that you said there was that, you know, having these awkward conversations isn't really a choice, especially for a lot of minorities and, and black um, people specifically, you know, <laughs> growing up, we, we're, de- we're thrown these, 
situations that we didn't want to be in. So I understand what you say when you mean it's not something you chose. It's just something you've lived and you've always had to do. And I think 2020 really highlighted to a lot of people the privilege that they had in their lives by not having to deal with these awkward and tough conversations all the time and now realizing, you know what, I have to step in and use my privilege and have my voice heard and have some input on this whole awkward conversations about Black Lives Matter and everything happening in the world now. So I completely get what you're saying. And even personally, like I, I always had seen people like yourself, you know, who are doing a lot of work in their community as, as, as role models. But personally, I didn't feel inclined for whatever reason to use my, my own voice, my own platform, because I didn't feel like I was the right person. You know, mm. and, and I think that's a common feeling that a lot of people have is I'm not the right person. I, I don't have who the is? right character. Who is? Exactly. who is the right person, you know, like who who's the right person? Exactly. Who, whoever shows up is the right person. And whatever time you start is the right time. Imagine if like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X was like, ah, shit, like maybe I ain't the right person to do this. Like mm-hmm. where would things, you know, like where would things be? It's not a question about who the right person is because it's probably you. Exactly. It's about it's about seizing the opportunity, you know, and mm-hmm. and that's one thing that regardless of what I did prior to uh, June 2020, I recognize that at that moment it was an opportunity to use my platform. And mm-hmm. that's what I really hope comes out of, you know, this series is a lot more people are willing to to realize and look in the mirror and be like, you know what, <laughs> there's always an opportunity to use your platform. It's just a matter of taking that opportunity and making sure that your voice is heard and you're not, you know, remaining silent because as we've all heard growing up, there's only two sides, the oppressed and the oppressor. And by remaining mute, you're choosing the side of the oppressor. Everyone has a sphere of influence. And so, you know, like, I don't know, Will Smith's sphere of influence is clearly way bigger than mine, but that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that doesn't negate my responsibility to, to still be a part of the fight for positive change. Everyone has a different sphere of influence. Some may be bigger, some may be smaller, but it doesn't. It still does not mean you don't have a sphere of influence. Everyone gets on the train at a different at a different stop. Some people might be the people leading the train. Some people might be the people fixing the train. Some people might be the ones just supporting the people who are actually on the train. But we all have a role to play on keeping this train on the tracks and make sure it goes. Well said, well said. I mean, what, what would be your message to those people who they don't feel like they're the right person? They say, you know, maybe I don't have the right, you know, especially the people of privilege. You can never not contribute to this conversation, especially if we're talking about racial in- inequity. If, if the first sort of uncomfortable part is, is you're just not sure, well, take some time to, to, to educate yourself, um, have the conversations because I mean, I'll quote myself, but it's easier to have, um, it's a privilege to have uncomfortable conversations rather than live an uncomfortable life. And so, so it takes it takes sometimes a lot uh, for, for people to come around, especially um, uh, uh, white men, um, because uh, in the sort of hierarchy of privilege, um, society has been built for white men um, it, it, historically. And so um, in engaging in this conversation is, is that, there's a, uh, there's a power structure. And so with privilege, there's, there's uh, power loss. If you're using your privilege to, to uplift somebody uh, from a marginalized community, that may mean that you have to give up something. You might lose something um, in this race. And 
you know, why would somebody want to do that is sort of the question. And that's the part where it comes uh, uh, when it comes in for uh, uh, privilege is that if I'm a white male and I've ascended to the top of, the, of my uh, corporate ladder, if I start bringing up or, or uh, um, folks from my minority groups, that that means that I have to give up something. I have to give up something in, in this in this uh, uh, fight for, for, for power uh, and equity. You know, I think about like the message for me is is get started because everyone has a responsibility. But in this conversation about race and racism, white people ha- almost have a bigger responsibility because racism is something that black people didn't create. People of color didn't create. Historical fact is that white people created racism. White people created the actual term uh, uh, of race. Race itself, like that actual sort of dichotomy and social stratification we created actually started because white people, like race means something because white people said that it does. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a historical fact. And I know that there may be people that it may be uncomfortable to hear this and it's not a personal attack by any means to anyone, but certainly you can, you can look it up is that race began as a social stratification, started comparing people of color to animals, to monkeys and so on and so on to create this divide. It was worked into religion. It was worked into science and then the, to the to, to the masses. And so there's a great deal uh, um, that I think that white people play in this particular role. And, and one thing I've mentioned before is that through all of these conversations and through all of these graphic things that we've seen, it gave a little glimpse on what it, what it means to be black. And so the question is that I always sort of ask now is, well, what does it mean to be white? What is whiteness? And so as a white person, the, the more and more you understand whiteness will bring you as close as you possibly can be to understanding blackness. Because mm-hmm. if you understand what whiteness is, you understand all of the historical things that have happened. You understand how whiteness dominates society. You understand the oppressions. So the closer you get to understanding whiteness will give you more of a glimpse on what it means to be black because you'll get all of those nuances. You know, to quote uh, <laughs> a movie that we all probably have watched or watched with our kids, you know, it's, it's that famous quote that uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Mm. And, mm. and in my opinion, you know, white males have the power and therefore the responsibility to have a say and a part in making sure that we continue to bridge the gap of equity and equality, you know, with, well, with the well, other groups. Well, let me say this, because uh, we all have power right? Like we all have power. There's white privilege and there's actually black privilege. It's a friggin' privilege to be black. I love it. It's mm-hmm. just that society doesn't recognize the privilege uh, the same way that I do. Society recognizes uh, white privilege in a way that, bene- that, that has more benefits uh, than, than the black privilege that I recognize. That's because society was completely built f- for white people, mm-hmm. any institution. And I, and I want to make this, draw this conclusion in because it's the second time I've said it. And I just want people to understand what I mean. Any institution, education, justice, any of them uh, in their inception, they were never built to work for black people or people of color. Police began out of slave catchers and night watch and they formalized into uh, the policing system we know today. RCMP started as uh, capturing indigenous children and bringing them to residential schools. And they formed to the RCMP that we know today. And so For people listening, I just want to make the point is that when I say that society was never built to actually work for people of color in the inception, I'm not saying now, Now, in the inception of it, it was never actually meant to to, to work for people of color. 
when we say with great power comes great responsibility to quote Spider-Man, we all have uh, a great power and we all have a responsibility, but in, in sort of the stratosphere of society, um, some powers and some people are recognized to have more privilege than others. And in this case, white privilege. I just don't want to take away from the power that we all have as people, um, mm -hmm. but certainly in the recognition, uh, white people, white males receive more recognition uh, in society than those of color. If that makes Definitely. sense. Definitely. Well said. Well said, Rico. And you, you brought up another point in terms of, you know, what people can do as a first step um, to trying to understand, you know, what black people and other minorities go through. And that's by educating yourself. And I really want to emphasize to everyone that it's not the responsibility of your black friends, your Asian friends, your female friends, for you to go to them and say, teach me about <laughs> inequality. Teach me about your struggle. Teach me about what you've gone through. Teach me about your story. It's, it's not their responsibility. And it's actually, you're burning them by doing that. And mm -hmm. <laughs> you're, you're, not, you're not forming yourself as an ally by, by not doing some homework before having that conversation. It's, it's the same as if you were gonna do any other sort of work, be it sports, you would do some homework before you go to somebody who is an expert in a field and ask mm -hmm. them certain questions. You mm -hmm. know, that's, that's out of respect. You have to do your legwork before going to a black person. Hey, hey Marvin, you know, you're black. What, what is it like? It, that is not the right way to approach educating yourself. We would never, ever, ever go to anyone, anyone at all, and say, geez, you want to tell me about that, that, that uh, sexual assault you were involved in? Like, we, we would just never do that. But we, we, we do go to people of color and say, man, I heard you had a racist experience. Like, you want, you want to tell me about racism? I'm not trying to equate the two and say one is more traumatic than the other or whatnot, but they're both traumatic situations. Um, yeah. Racism is, 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 is traumatic. And so... Um, to be clear, I don't want listeners to say that I'm trying to equate sexual assault to racism in any way. I'm just saying that they're both traumatic situations. Exactly. And so going to a person of color and, and asking them to calmly educate you um, about racism and racial issues is the epitome of privilege. I'm not saying that there's no role to play for people of color. Certainly there is, but you know, it's a, it's a black tax. Like there's a tax to being black that I don't get extra pay uh, at my places of employment for uh, being by default, one of the only black people. So therefore, by default, the cultural and racial issues will come to you. That's just a, a, an added black tax that you have to take on just because you're a person of color. There's that whole friggin' phenomenon of like that extra sort of tiring piece that like, yo, like, <laughs> you know, we have to deal with. That leads well, actually. And elaborating a little bit on um, what you said about the inception of a lot of these these systems like, you know, mm. the RCMP and the police and why people are calling for the defunding of police and the look at systemic racism from the roots of it, mm -hmm. you know, and what happened in, in George, with, with George Floyd last year was global. And um, it's, it's unfortunate that it took something that has been happening a lot, you know, mm. to, to open everyone's eyes, but I'd rather it, happen and I'm glad now that it did open a lot of people's eyes rather than you know looking for criticisms because if you look for criticisms they're they're endless you know but what do you see as the next step now for those people who were you know woke by the George Floyd situation 
all these companies need to live out the diversity statements that they all put out. I'll take a step back here. So like this, the, 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 the George Floyd uh, situation that happened, there was a Trayvon Martin that happened years before that. There was Sandra Bland like that happened uh, before George Floyd. These are not new. Uh, there are people being hung by nooses in the United States this year, this year. And so these things are not, they're not new. Uh, and so when people talk about there was a resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement, it's just like, nah, man, like, like y'all just haven't been paying attention because like we've been in the trenches grinding this stuff and doing this work. It's just that it didn't make mainstream. Exactly. And so like there's a George Floyd that happens every single day. The difference here is that this brought the issue to, to the doorsteps of people because businesses were affected. Streets were shut down. And it was like the largest civil rights movement in history. And so this brought the movement to everyone's doorstep because, uh-oh, cities are shut down and things are on fire now. This is actually affecting the uh, white business owners and, and, and governments. And so, you know, the issues of, of, of uh, unarmed black men being killed were only sort of looked at uh, from the lens of like, well, and first of all, first of all, like, we're like saying like, yo, stop killing us and people are like well like yeah but like you're also killing each other <laughs> i've heard that one a lot yeah but and it's just like well, well wait well, there's no yeah but like there's no but stop stop, stop you know stop killing unarmed black men and, and people are like yeah but like you know yeah but what like you, you didn't have like and like the, the crazier things and i know i'm going on a bit of a tangent here but like the crazier things are like the video of uh, of an unarmed black man being shot or choked out by a police officer is not enough evidence in court to say a young, young unarmed black man was shot and choked and killed by a police officer. Somehow video evidence like doesn't hold up in court. How does George Zimmerman get off? How is like, how are the officers with Sandra Bland? Like, and so now we have this, 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 you know, now we're here with, with George Floyd. And so what, what, what is the next step? So all of the very well written by communications department statements that businesses uh, put out, all of the very well written by the comms folks and government, oh, and PR. That, the, that, the, that the PR folks, that the, the government officials have put out, it's well over time to live out those statements. And so mm-hmm. next steps are actual tangible things. And so people are going to be like, well, what, what are some tangible things? So make uh, uh, governments, um, uh, organizations, businesses making tangible commitments to say, uh, by this particular year, we're going to hire X amount of folks from the indigenous, from the black community. We're going to make commitments to invest X amount of dollars into this particular sector uh, 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 of the city. We're going to have X amount of people in said leadership positions in these government roles. We're going to make designated uh, elected official positions for people of color. We're going to change the boundaries for elections so that we we can guarantee that we're going to get more people of color involved. We're going to not recruit, but build relationships and go into uh, black communities and re and rechange the whole thing that we're going to do. And so, you know, there's, there's so many tangible things when people say, well, what can we do? There's many next steps. So if you're a business or an organization or a company or a club, that has simply just put out a, a, an amazing a statement and done nothing. I don't have time for you. <laughs> I don't have sure. time for you. There's plenty of steps that, 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 that you can take. I always say like, man, if you don't, if you're not connected to anyone, Google is a, is a, is a, is a wonderful place. 
if you're figuring, if you're trying to figure out like, man, where should I order a pizza from tonight? What, well, what do you do? You probably go to a search engine and look it up. And so, and I'm not saying, you know, that's a place to start, right? Like if you're at a place where like, okay, well, what can I do? How can I be an ally? Mm-hmm. Man, if you type that in Google, you could be there. You could be there for the rest of your life. Like there's a place to start. Like there's a place to start is my point. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. And, and it's important to, to just start, you know, that's, that's what I keep telling a lot of people. Like you'll be surprised what, what you'll do and what you'll be capable of once you start, you know, it's, it's like uh, my mother always said growing up, like, I don't care how many steps you move forward every day, you know, just move forward. It could be a baby step one day. It could be a jump the next, but as long as you're willing to take that first step, there's, there's going to be days where you can take four steps. There's days where you can take a half step. In this whole situation we all face in, being an ally means to start by educating yourself, not by asking your black friends, your Asian friends, your indigenous friends, by educating yourself. That is the basic start that you have to have. And then from there, there's all sorts of routes you can take. Mm-hmm. But just take that first step to educate yourself. And you'll su- it's I've surprised myself, honestly, since, you know, being the diversity and inclusion officer for the Wanderers, how much... I actually already was capable of doing. Absolutely. Because like, you know, if someone's building a house, it's not like, okay, I'm going to start Monday and I'm done. Like you got to lay that shit out as perfectly as you can one by one brick by brick. And eventually you got a beautiful house or a beautiful building. Uh, But, but the key is to legitimately just start. And so, you know, even with like, with like sports, the first time you pick up a basketball or the first time you start running, you're probably not the best, but like you start. And so, the key is because I see many people like, ah, you know, like I really want to do something, but I'm just not really sure. I don't know. So like I would much rather somebody move with pure intentions in their heart and genuineness starting and make a mistake than to just do nothing. Completely agree. And, and you talked about companies following up with these PR statements and everything they put <laughs> out there, you know, and it's, it's great to put out a statement, but the companies that put out those statements and have done nothing since are being looked at a lot more critically than the ones who didn't put out a statement at all. And I've been, you know, myself very critical of companies and and businesses that, you know, choose to put out, you know, a statement when something happens and then you ask them, you know, what do you have a diversity and inclusion policy, a committee? And they're like, no. And even a lot of these, um, you know, for, for black history month, I'm going to quite a few schools to talk and share the, you know, the message of anti-racism, but, when some reach out for me to go educate them and I ask, I flip the buck and I say, you know, what are you guys already doing at your mm-hmm. school or at your institution to <laughs> make sure that you're being diverse and inclusive to your students or wherever it is with, so that I don't just show up, you know, for the one appearance in black history month. And then it's I, nothing happens after that, or it's a yearly see you next year. So it's really important that again, you, <laughs> you, not only educate yourself, but you start to implement some policies that are going to help the people around you in your business, in your community, in your street, you know, and that, that is the base. That's the foundation that you, that you can actually build on, like you said, brick by brick, but you have to have that foundation before you can start even looking at the walls. It's a lifelong sort of thing because like, I can't, like the color of my skin is black for the rest of my life. And so whether I want to engage in this stuff or not, I don't have a choice. I'm going to be engaged just simply by the color of my skin. And so, you know, for businesses that um, 
are predominantly white, like it needs to be a lifelong focus, like it needs to be a legitimate pillar in your strategic plan. It's cool to have the the the, the statements like that was the in thing to do, but like I'm more interested in the shit. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are your tangible things that you're doing? Because society was never set up for um, the ascending of of people of color, and so what are you doing in your respective field or your respective area to move the needle to better support people of color? Like what, what is it that you're actually doing? I don't want to see the statement. I want to see, here's our strategic plan by 2025, you know, our, our, we're going to increase our workforce by 25%. We're going to have X amount of positions for people of color. We're going to do this many community outreach uh, initiatives. We're going to put this money back into the communities. What What are you doing? Like, what are you doing? I don't care about the words, right? Like, definitely. And to add to that, there's a layer of of companies that are that are doing things almost for charity, and people who are doing things for for charity for minorities. And it's it, that's not what people need. You know, there's people who call black businesses, own businesses, and literally over the phone say, "Hey." You know, I want to support your black owned business. Um, what can I do? What can I buy? That, that is not the, the play. That is not the call you need to make. If you <laughs> truly want to make a lasting impression and be an ally, when you go decide, I need groceries, that's when you try to look for other black owned businesses. And not, don't tell them that that's what you're doing. Just do it. Right. You know, when you're going to look for certain beverages or certain, whatever it is you do on a day-to-day basis, it's trying to be a bit more inclusive, not going to the same Sobeys and the same, you know, Walmarts and the same places that we all know are there. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an extension of the support local. It's support local, right. but within that. Support local, but local, local, right? Like there's a, there's a, there's a local within the local. Um, <laughs> That's that's not sort of the mainstream uh, local when, when we're when we're having that conversation around buying and supporting local because many of the uh, uh, black businesses, black uh, organizations and initiatives are not included in that local conversation, um, right. are not included in sort of the in quotations the mainstream. They've been pushed out. Um, they're not included in, in in places like chamber of commerce and uh, or or other sort of notable uh, places within Halifax that elevate business or provide training. And so there's a local within the local. Uh, and, and how can you do your best to support uh, local Black businesses and initiatives? If you're an organization that is doing well, you know, what is, what's your contribution to this particular social stratosphere that we're in right now? What are you doing? What's your contribution because at the end of the day, people need help and people need support. And so how can you reach down and pull some, some, another business back up? How, can you use your platform to highlight? Um, can you use your platform to support? Uh, Definitely. And I'm going to answer that question. I know it was rhetorical, but I'm, I am really proud to be part of an organization that is very um, involved in our community. And we don't align with companies just because they're black owned we align with companies because they're good at what they do and they're black owned you know and we really try to make sure as the wanderers when we're sending our players to different schools it's not the same white schools all the time it's not the same we're, we're being inclusive and going to various communities and not going to the same places over and over you know it's it's partnering with companies like Smooth Meal Prep, you know, to help when our mm. players come back from quarantine and they're able shout to provide out food for our players. Shout, shout out to Smooth <laughs> Meal Prep for their great, great grub. They've been hooking up our players. You know, it's 
It's partnering with companies like BBI and, and, and looking for long-term projects. It's those are the lasting impressions that businesses need to make, not just put out PR statements that are followed with no action. One question that I want to ask you is, you know, growing up, we've, we've dealt with a lot of uncomfortable situations, mm -hmm. awkward conversations, you know, what's, what's one that really spoke to you and, and drove you further to want to do something? So my mother is from Mulgrave Park. When I was born, we moved into uh, uh, what's known as the pubs. Some people know it as Bears Westwood. Public housing community, kind of west end of Halifax, close to Halifax Shopping Center for people who may not be from here and not familiar with the area. And so growing up in that in that neighborhood, man, like I, I would see a lot of people who would be into some stuff, whether it was guns or drugs. I'd see some people go to jail, like friends of mine get into some situations. And at the same time, seeing my mom sort of grind things out, seeing those situations and things happening in my neighborhood. I always wanted different for me, but also different for like people that were around me. And so my mindset was always, how can we change this or how can we get out of here? And like funny things that I would do, like, um, so basketball was like my savior. It was like the therapist I could, I could afford because um, I just needed a basketball and a net. Um, Soccer was so, fun. <laughs> yeah. And so like I would be at the basketball court and I, I swear I would do this is that <laughs> Every time a car would drive by, man, I'd be going so hard because like in my head, I'm like, this, there could be a coach in there. Like there could be someone in there that's, they're going to pull over and like, they're going to give me an opportunity and like, like we can change the way that things are happening in my community. I did the same thing growing up. <laughs> it's like an audition every time a car drove yeah. by. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm trying to show out because like in my head, I just, like, I just, and still now, like, you know, like people from my community, I just want, I literally want the best for my community, like the friends are around me because I know several people still um, that are that are struggling and in different situations. And so I say like the environment um, that I that I grew up in, in a lot of ways, like bred a, a monster, like my hustle is crazy. Um, and I don't say that to be arrogant, but like it needs to be and it needed to be to, to, to be in that uh, grown up in the environment that, that, that I was grown up in, because there were times where there wasn't like uh, and shout out to my mom. I mean, like my mom did literally everything she could do, like right down to like selling some things <laughs> uh, to make sure that like, you know, we, we, we had to eat. And so like it was it was it was competitive there. Um, I'm getting to the leftovers like because yeah. my brother ain't having them. And so like it's competitive. It was competitive outside of the house. Like you had to be an alpha like in certain groups, like in the community or like you might get fucked up. Like yeah. it's just like. And so like you had to like the whole like what I think about it now from that question, like my whole sort of my whole upbringing was competitive. I feel like that environment just like bred a monster that like I'm never going to I I don't ever want my kids to have to experience, you know, poverty or public housing. Like I don't ever want to have to go back there. And so there's no like one thing that I could say. Uh, but it's it's a it's a combination uh, of different experiences, I think, that. You know, I wouldn't want to change, although some were shitty, but like it, it gave me a new sort of perspective um, um, and created like a different level of resilience that like you can't get out of the book. Definitely. And, you know, I, I want to clarify for anyone who, you know, can misconstrue that when you say you don't want to go back there, it doesn't mean that you're not doing everything to help that community oh, you came out of. 
you know, it's, it's, it's just, you don't want to be in that situation again. You don't want to have your son or anybody else have to be in that situation. If you can help it, if we can help it. hundred percent. Like that's the thing is that, you know, in, in my perspective, like a public housing, like the hood is like, is it's amazing, but it also has like uh, this glorified side to it that, that like people that I know that are in it right now and are, they, it's a necessity. Like People what do you mean when you say it's amazing? What I just need to clarify. It's amazing. Uh, the the people, the beautiful people, the resilience, the stories, the mm-hmm. the, the history, um, the and like the and like the environment. Like the environment is like so rich. You know, it's even a nurturing environment. I always find like yeah, Dan, any of those it. communities are nurturing because as we all know, you know, we're we're all a combination of nature and nurture. And I find that um, low income and those those types of communities really nurture their youth in terms of like not going back like i don't literally mean like not going back because if i had the, the money i would just buy my community and like let everyone live for free like if i literally had the means that's what i would do not going back is meaning like i don't want to i don't think anyone like i don't want to live um in, in public housing again like I, I don't i don't and so when i say i don't want to go back is like that entire lifestyle um, was amazing for me, but it's not something that I would, I would want to give my kids more than what I had. And you want to move forward. Like, you want to keep moving forward. Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I, it's not a knock at all to my mom. Cause like she did what she had to do. It's just that it's not a, it's not an ideal sort of environment, um, uh, to be in, you know, like I would give, I would literally give everything I had right now if they were like, okay, boom, like, you know, you don't have your job or your car or whatever, but everyone in your community is straight. Like I'll give it up in a second because I know I'm going to get, I'm going to get it back in time. So like, I wouldn't be who I was if it wasn't for people in my community. Like there's people in my community who have looked out for me and have done some things for me um, to make sure that I am where I am. So I legit would give it all up to see my people in my community shine. Definitely. And, and, you know, you said it, shout out to my mom as well, because <laughs> she did a lot of things for, for myself when I was younger and, and, and my nurture is a lot Moms are crazy, man. Moms are so nuts. Like moms get it done, man. (laughs) They do. They do. As I grow up more, I really start to appreciate, uh, not start, continue to appreciate my mother more and all the sacrifices and how selfless mothers are. And as somebody who grew up in, you know, in Kenya and was in a refugee camp, the the sacrifices were endless from from the mother, you know, father, of course, too. But Moms shout are just a whole, man. <laughs> a whole other level of sacrifice. Shout out to the moms. Man. Exactly. Shout out to the good moms out there, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to close this out with just my summary of everything last year. And uh, I'll encourage you to, to leave us with a quote as well um, or a message. But mine is that it is the job of the majority to bridge the gap, you know, between the minority and the majority. We started that in 2020 but like we said earlier it's it's just the first step there's Mm -hmm. there's plenty of steps left to go and we have to continue to educate ourselves we've continued to ally ourselves we have to continue to include the people that we're making the policies for when we're making the policies right not just not just make a policy here it is we're we're gonna hire a black person we're gonna hire a female we're gonna no we need to include the people what are you looking for when we say we want to be more inclusive, we want to be more naive. What do you, what is it the, the black community is looking for? What is it the indigenous community is looking for? That for me is, is, is my closing statement. 
one of the messages for sure is that the solutions for our community lie in education, opportunity, and exposure. And another one of my favorite things is that the wolf at the top of the hill is never as hungry as the one climbing. The grind is, is, is never ending um, and, and always has to continue. Uh, like the journey that we are on is never ending. Um, and so, you know, my sort of idea of this is that uh, ancestors and people before me, family, all have carried the baton uh, as far as they could take it. And so I grabbed the baton and I'm sprinting as far as I can take it uh, until my time is up. And so I'm hoping that, you know, I left and leave this world uh, in a better place um, so that whoever is next up, they can grab that baton and run with it some more. Because, you know, you think about from, you know, we went from uh, uh, slavery, then we had uh, people run with the baton as far as, as far as they could take it. Then we had Martin Luther King as far as they could take it. And then we like people every so often grab that baton uh, and run with it. I think it's our job to take that baton and run as far as we can with it. While you're, while you're thinking, there's one other one that recently surfaced when I was on a 40 of Cups call with um, Jennifer Montgomery and Stephanie Clark recently. And thanks to them for, you know, having a lot of great uh, conversations. The quote that was on the call was that overachieving is the only socially acceptable addiction, you know, and mm. that, that to me really made me think. And I really encourage all, our, all the people listening to, to think about what, that's, what that means. Uh, so every now and then I do write um, spoken words. The one I was looking for was called uh, Who Are You Not To Be? Um, mm. And it was essentially, who are, like, who are you not? It's self-explanatory. Yeah. This, one here, <laughs> this one here is just, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll end with, this is probably one of the last things I'll say. But I'll, it, So it's called Black Boy. This is a true story that happened, but I wrote it into a, a, a spoken word. What's up? As I give props to the young black boy sweating and out of breath, the sun was out. It was like 23 degrees. He had on jeans and a black hoodie. So logically to me, he would be sweating beads. I knew this young boy and his mannerisms. He was always fresh to death, cool, calm, and collect. So when he failed to share a laugh and ask, yo, Rico, what's up with the Toronto raps? Or can I get some help with math? I proceeded to ask. As if I were the dad that I knew sadly this young black boy never had. What's going on? He looked at me stone-faced, eyes glazed, and told me the story of how two bullets just grazed him and his friends. He continued to stare, looking at me, waiting for my response to be shocked and amazed. My, my mind races through the time spaces and my eyes stick to him. As I go over my mind, primary to grade 12 education curriculum, we're told to sit down, do your work, and stay on task. And at this moment, I realize there's nothing that I learned from a book or a class that could provide me with a logical reason to tell him after he's just been shot at, please don't shoot back. So I say, I'll do what I can and be strong and things will be okay. And I wonder if you heard the uncertainty in my voice. What I wanted to say was be smart and be careful. This life you live as a young black boy is a handful. Don't wear a hoodie or reach for your phone or keep your pants pulled up and maybe you'll be left alone. Always say yes, officer, and do what they ask because one slight hand movement could be your first or your last. Wow, that, that's a lot. There's a lot there. There's, There's a lot, a lot there. Like, but well, that's powerful, man. It's powerful. Honestly, Rico, thank you a lot for joining. Look forward to seeing you at our next committee meeting. And I know that you've been running with that baton for a while, but I started a little bit late. I'm starting at the, <laughs> the takeoff, <laughs> but 
I got my baton and I'm and I'm I'm right behind you, man. I'm coming for you, hoping to be beside you. And if I can get in front of you and encourage you to keep running a bit faster, that's my goal. So thank Absolutely. you for, for for being an ally, being a brother. And I look forward to continuing to work together for change. Of course. Hashtag together from a ways. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Have a great day, Drico. And uh, thanks to everyone who tuned in. As always, work together for change.